this is the high leverage point. You know, if we can change this frontline manager, if we can change their behavior, they'll change their team's behavior. And if we can systematically integrate coaching, it'll be a game changer. And so he told me, he said, Brian, everyone knows that. Everyone knows that the stickiness of the training program depends on the ongoing coaching reinforcement that that frontline manager does. And I said, well, if everybody knows that, then why in the hell don't you build your curriculum around that frontline manager instead of the frontline ICs? And he said, our model is predicated on putting cheeks in the seats. And there's a hell of a lot more frontline employees out there, frontline ICs, than there are frontline managers. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Brian Souza. Brian's the CEO and founder of Productivity Drivers Incorporated. He's a sales leadership coaching company, and he's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Weekly Coaching Conversation. So not surprisingly, Brian and I have a wide-ranging conversation about coaching. We get into research Brian has done, which has found that there's a direct correlation between the quantity and quality of coaching that an individual receives and his or her level of performance improvement. Now, no surprise there. And it's probably also no surprise that more than 44% of employees report never having received any constructive coaching or developmental feedback. So Brian and I dig into where the big disconnects are between the expectations and the reality when it comes to coaching. And we also dive into Brian's weekly coaching conversation framework and how to prepare yourself to be a great coach. All this and much, much more before we get to Brian, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. Thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Brian, welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Great to be here. Huge fan of your show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we had a bit of a false start getting started here. But um, so you're actually, you're sort of a neighbor. I mean, we're both uh, residents of the San Diego area. I am, yeah, down the street. We, uh, yeah, play in a, in a similar hood here in uh, the San Diego area. So, uh, well, that's where all the cool kids live. So, <laughs> that's actually, right. it's and funny. It, uh, last year, I was interviewing uh, Steve Farber, who's you know very well known author. And, oh, sure. And uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, we're like less than a block from each other. I could almost look out my window and, and wave at him. <laughs> oh, really? That's funny. Yeah, that's that was very funny. close. I had no idea. All yeah. right. Well, today we're going to talk about coaching because that's. Uh, as we look at the book over your shoulder there, uh, weekly call conversation. So um, you've written this book called The Weekly Coaching Conversation. What was sort of the impetus to write the book? Well, it really uh, kind of goes back to my story. So, I mean, just just briefly, uh, sure. you know, I you know grew up from humble beginnings, put myself through school, studied international business, and went up to Silicon Valley in the mid-90s and got my start in high-tech sales. So mm -hmm. I know you, you know, you're from... That generation, right? So it's sort of that one dot com one oh uh, boom, right? Started with Netscape in the mid nineties. Yeah, probably, probably version one unfortunately, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, thank you for like dating say, me, but yeah, go ahead. That's right, that's right. But I like to say I had the distinction of being a part of the first uh, riff of dot com one oh, you know, when uh, we were trying to sell client server architecture and I'm in a sea of inside salespeople of four hundred people and uh, all of a sudden on a dime Microsoft decides to give away IE for free. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, but anyways, went to a bunch of early stage startup companies. And I uh, ultimately ended up landing at a company called Akamai Technologies yeah. and uh, yeah, was hired to scale up the West Coast uh, sales organization for them, ran about a third of their revenue. 
And that kind of set me off on this trajectory. And then the dot-com crash, and it kind of put me on this course towards writing books. And so um, did some early stage consulting for go-to-market strategies with early stage companies. And then I started researching sales productivity. And it kind of led me on this path from, it was actually a five-year research project. We partnered with Ipsos, one of the leading research firms, mm-hmm. and started researching sales productivity and landed on ultimately sales leadership, right? And so the question we were focused on answering is, what really separates these world-class leaders of high-performance teams from most managers? And that's really what culminated in the book, the weekly coaching conversation, is the difference primarily came down to one thing, their approach. They didn't act like a manager, they acted like a coach. So why is that so hard? Because this is a conversation that we're having more and more in sales these days. I mean, this is not <laughs> this is not revealed wisdom. This is something we've known for a long, long time. Why is this something that seems to be more acute now? This people defaulting more to wanting to be a manager than really understanding that the way they succeed is through other people, and only by making other people successful will they succeed themselves. Yeah, 100%. Well, I think a couple of reasons. I think one, generationally, I think things have changed, right? I think this, you know, the new group of millennials that is by and large 70% of the workforce, I think they're really not only wanting, they're demanding sort of more coaching, more feedback. And that's really kind of raised and shined the spotlight on this, this new approach, right? We, we call the coach. But I think part of it, Andy, as you know, I mean, you know, we, we've exchanged messages and chat a little bit about it, but I think it's also a paradigm shift that needs to happen, I think, in our mindset as managers and as leaders, but also the industry as a whole. And I like to sort of frame it as, in a, in a simple way, you sort of have two sides to management, right? You have the process side, which is all the scheduling, the you know, reporting, the analyzing, um, you know, all the data on the, you know, the sales mm-hmm. dashboard. And most managers are pretty good at the process side to management, but then you have the people side to management. And when it comes to the people side to management, most managers have never been taught the right approach. And sure. so I think that's the, that's the distinction is that they're really in their mindset, they're sort of focused on, if I tell my people what to do, they'll do it. And let me just show the data and they'll do it. When in reality, there's a pretty big gap, a pretty big chasm trying to get their people to do what it is they need to do to be successful. Right. And I think, yeah, certainly that you know, we have expectations of, of coaches and frontline sales managers that are unrealistic in many respects, because to your point, we don't equip them with with the perspectives they need to have, let alone the tools about the importance of this. But but this gap, like I said, I think is more acute now than it's been for quite some time. I mean, we have all the advantages of technologies that exist for sales, and yet, yeah, my conversations on this program with the people that are paying attention to these things, yeah. it doesn't really seem like we're getting any better, right? We should have all the advantages to be able to make individual sellers more productive. And yet, it appears, based on what little data that does exist, that actually sellers today are no more productive, if possibly even less productive, in terms of the amount of revenue they generate per hour of selling time than they were 40 years ago. I agree. I agree. And I, and I think it's, and, I, and as you know, I think it comes down to a lot of things. I think one is just this overemphasis on the shiny object, you know, and the data and all this technology. And I think we lose sight of the people side to management. I mean, ultimately, these aren't robots we're dealing with, they're people, right? And there's a world of difference between telling your people what to do and shaping their behaviors and coaching and developing them. Doesn't some of that, though, really come from higher up, right? I think there's, you know, if you look at sort of the SaaS business, is yeah. there's sort of this acceptance of the way things are, is we just work 
we are one place we've used the technology to great effect is at the top of the funnel. And you know, we're great at putting stuff into the funnel. But quite honestly, when you look at win rates and so on, we've sort of it's not that we couldn't be better at closing more deals, but just given the way the business oftentimes is structured, there's real no incentive at the top to be any better at closing deals. Because, hey, if I know if I can just put a certain amount of stuff on the top of funnel and get a certain percentage of it, hey, we're going to grow. And great, some companies do. Most don't successfully. And But there's sort of this acceptance that this is the way it is and you know, this is a lever I know at the top of funnel I can manipulate. So I'm going to focus on that. 100%. 100%. I mean, it really boils down to efficiency versus effectiveness, right? And I think that to your point, I think we've just, as an industry and as leaders, as, as sales leaders, and I talk to dozens of CROs or at least a dozen every single week, right? And I think it's this outdated paradigm that they're coming from, right? And I think it's, I need to have three, four X the pipe in my funnel for mm-hmm. my reps, Right. And I need to hit these activity metrics and I need to hit, you know, all of so many proof of concepts, so many demos, you know, so many. And, and the metrics play a role. But to your point, Andy, and I think it's a fantastic one is as sales leaders, as CROs, as go to market leaders, they're not focused on the effectiveness side of it. Instead of just trying to drive more, more, more and crack the whip and get to do more, how can we improve the effectiveness with what your reps are executing? And I think where you're going to land on that, and if you get out, you know, get away from the dashboard and actually get down in the trenches and actually observe what's happening in the front line, I call it that front line, the last mile, the execution layer, right? It's a dynamics between the frontline manager and that frontline uh, IC or employee, right? Frontline rep. And if you actually observe what happens, I think most sales leaders will be shocked and terrified all in the same, all in the same vein, right? <laughs> well, but they accept it. What? What they have to realize, and this is kind of what I'm so passionate about. I've been on this journey for 10 years, right? In terms of you know evangelizing what, and worked with some of the top companies, uh, you know, in the industry, certainly in high tech. Um, but what so what I think part of it is they don't realize that there's an alternative. There is a different approach, and I think that philosophically, I think the sales leaders themselves have to realize: look, we can focus on all the metrics and the data and everything. But we have to understand what it is philosophically that we want to communicate, the, our management approach. Let me give you a quick example. Sure. So ServiceNow, ServiceNow. Right. Familiar with ServiceNow. Oh, so yeah. huge successful company. Um, they were actually, Dave Schneider, who was the president in Marinas, he just retired. Um, ServiceNow was actually my very first client. Mm-hmm. And so I worked with ServiceNow and what Dave saw is they were scaling. At the time, They were. this was back in 2013 and I worked sure. with them over a few years. But Dave saw that, look, you know, as that organization was scaling, they were doing about 200 million ARR at the time. He said, look, I need to instill my management philosophy and vision down through the organization. If I truly want to build a world-class high-performance sales organization, I have to put my imprint and my focus and my vision, and I have to institute that down through the organization, especially down to the front line. And so I worked with Dave. I brought all the research that we had done over five years, plus sort of co-created this new management approach we call the coach and the framework working with companies like ServiceNow early on to actually pull that down. There's the mindset, the skill set, and the system, but really mm-hmm. kind of helping the leaders to understand and say, look, we want to have a consistent way that we approach management and leadership. And here's what that looks like. And to your point, Andy, a huge integral part of that, it's not all coaching, but a hugely important part of that, especially at that frontline level, is having these ongoing coaching conversations right. with their team members. So one of the things that, and we're going to dig into that because, you know, walk through a little bit what you've talked about in your book. and But my sense is that there's this 
disconnect, this chasm, if you will, between the frontline sellers, the individual contributors, and what they want to get out of work and the way the way they want to work versus the way the frontline managers and leaders who are so focused on the dashboards and quote unquote the process want them to sell. And I'm just curious if you see that as well. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, Andy. It, 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 and it's been an interesting journey, right? I think early on, after had, having done the research, we had the beginning of a framework. But having worked with you know over ten thousand sales leaders now, you start to learn things, right? And you start to continuously improve and sort of iterate. And you know, working with companies like ServiceNow or SaaS Institute trained all thirty five hundred of their sales and services folks. But to your point, it's it's. I think you have to look at a holistic vision of your role as a leader and certainly as a frontline leader for all you frontline sales leaders, uh, frontline managers listening out there. And I think part of that is on that people side to management they're overlooking, for example, is, you know, they might go through a skills training. They might, you know, have able enablement or HR might say, Hey, look, go and do this. Here's a sales skills coaching program. Mm -hmm. Um, What they fail to realize is that, you know, for example, before you can, you know, facilitate a high perform, uh, facilitate a constructive coaching conversation, or certainly before you can become a world-class coach, you have to first create an environment that's conducive to coaching. You have to create a high-performance environment. And so I did a post recently on LinkedIn that showed the environment, right? In terms of, we asked 2,000 frontline sales managers mm-hmm. about the type of environment they believed they had created. And then we asked their team members the same question. And there was a massive g- disconnect, right? In terms of safety. Do I feel safe coming to my manager, asking questions, voicing concerns or asking for coaching, right? Do I, do I trust, does my manager trust me, believe in me and have my best interest in mind? So I think we have to understand and take a holistic vision of our jobs, right? At the leadership level so that we can empower our, our managers out in the field to become better coaches. But if you're not addressing that people side to management, all the process, all the dashboards, all the systems, it ain't going to, it ain't going to stick. It ain't going to move the needle. And I think that is, that is the sticking point right there. Right, that that we're complete, increasingly confronting, which is because a lot of the behaviors are driven by technology, right? They're driven by the access to the data and so on, where it becomes easier to default to managing the activity versus managing and coaching the people. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that it's driven by the data. I think they're trying to drive the behaviors by using the data. But what they have to understand, and this, you know, I've spent a lot of time studying behavioral sciences, you know, BF Skinner and behavior modification mm-hmm. and. You have to understand that there is a, you know, the data is only going to get you so far. Like I said, I can't tell you how many times I, you know, I tell my people what to do. I tell them more. I tell them about the activity. I show them the data. I show them how much money they're going to make if they, if they do all these activities, but it's not sticking. And I think, again, I think they have to recognize that you have to take a more broad-based approach to sort of this level of engagement you have your, with your team member. You have to create that high-performance environment that's conducive to coaching. You have to understand first off that, Leadership development starts with personal development, right? So before you focus on wanting to change your team member's behavior, look in the mirror and understand and take that introspective look and figure out what behaviors you have to change. Mm-hmm. And that's a big, that was a big aha for me, right? I was a do-it-all manager you know, back right. in the day. If you look on the spreadsheet, I was the number one guy worldwide and it was great, but I realized that I didn't have the trust, loyalty, or respect of my team. I had to learn the hard way about you know, the fact that you know, how you judge success. And this is part of the problem too, Andy, as you, as you know, we had, we had exchanged some messages on was how are sales leaders evaluating performance, right? If as a frontline manager, am I number one worldwide because I'm blowing out my number? But what if 
I parachute in, I change my approach, you know, I'm a do-it-all manager mm-hmm. and I parachute in the bottom of the ninth of the quarter. I cro- close the big deals, I crush it. And I'm number one, I crush my number, but 70% of my team aren't making their number, right? So I think we have to take this holistic view of performance and understand if you truly want to build a world-class high-performance team, instead of just doing the rat wheel, chasing, making your number, trying to make your number every quarter, if you really want to build a world-class high-performance team and organization, I think you have to take that holistic approach to performance and evaluate it at all levels. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I mean, I, I've, I think we ask way too much of managers without equipping them with the right perspectives about what to do. Absolutely. But it brings up this idea about, uh, you know, you talk about high performance, and we talk about performance improvement in sales. And I know you've looked at this because you write about it in your book. You sort of draw the parallels between professional sports and, and sales, which I know some people hate and they think that's, you know, <laughs> drawn out. And I have to admit, I was I was one of those people for a long time. But over the last five years, as, as I've delved more into performance improvement, uh, literature, a lot of it coming out of professional sports, is the parallels are actually, I think, more direct than people want to admit. Because I'm a huge soccer fan, as people know, listening to the show, probably all rolling their eyes when they hear me say this. And But you look at that particular sport and what they do to manage and coach to improve performance, there's so much we could learn in sales that we haven't done. But part of it is, is they actually train coaches about how you work with people. How do you coach, you know, not just at the skill level, but also the human level. How do you, how do you coach somebody to improve their performance? You know, everything you talked about, skills, mindset, so on. And there's, there's this body of, of work and thought coming out of professional sports that says if you want to achieve more is you have to focus less on results and more on what they call performance. You know, the act of actually doing as opposed to what the outcome is going to be. Because the outcome will come if you focus on performance versus results. 100%. 100%. I think... Um you said a lot there to unpack, um, but I think I think their parallels are universal, right? In terms of sports, if you want to build a high performance team, I think the principles are universal, mm-hmm. and the examples and corollaries are natural, right? I think whether your high performance team is you know you're you're a professional sports team or a club team for your kids or in the corporate arena, I think the principles for how to get the most out of your team and how to build a high performance team are universal, and well, I think. But- Go ahead. Well, I was just going to inject. One thing that we don't do along that line, though, that I think is, is a direct parallel from sports, is you look at that, again, I use soccer or football as those is actually a game that's actually played with the feet, um, is there's a manager, but then there are coaches, and they're not the same. And it seems like that's just one perspective, just one, I'm not focused too much on it, that we could draw from sales into, or from sports into sales, but when you bring it up, it's like, oh, no, we could never afford that, right? <laughs> you know, we could never do that. We could never, I mean, we're so, and I think that really starts at the top in this reluctance, but that's just one example is why do we assume managers should be coaches? Well, I think to your point, I think, so, you know, and I get what you're saying in terms of bringing someone in as a coach. What I, I work with a lot of high-tech companies, a lot of SaaS companies, right? The unicorns, the high-growth companies, and they're thinking scale, right? And when you think scale, it's all about systems, processes, and certainly on the management side. 
And so I take I kind of have taken a different approach to it, Andy. I think you can certainly bring someone in as a as a an executive coach, if you will, but that doesn't scale. I think the role that we've taken with the weekly coaching conversation is fundamentally transforming that role of that first line manager into a coach. So what they do, coach, and this is the distinction, you know, I, I say coaching is not just something that you as a manager must do. A coach is someone that you as a leader must become. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned, there's the mindset, the skill set, and the system. But what we're talking about fundamentally, Andy, is fundamentally transforming that, that role of that manager into a coach, right? So they have the management responsibilities that they have to do, but they can integrate coaching conversations. Certainly the weekly coaching conversation is the most important conversation to move performance, but you can have a deal coaching conversation. You should be having a deal coaching conversation. We have different frameworks for this, Mm -hmm. but how do you integrate coaching into what they do? How do you transform that interrogation of the pipeline into a constructive coaching conversation? And I think you nailed it, Andy. One of the, the blessings and the curse in sales is we have so much data and there's so many amazing companies out there. And a lot of them are clients and I work with them in terms of these dashboards and data that they have. But, you know, it's, it's, it's almost too much data. And I think we, we start to focus on the activity and the results instead of focusing on improvement and growth. And I think you nailed that hundred percent. Well, let me go back to another point though, that you brought up because you said that you didn't think that these specialized coaches are scalable. Why, why would you say that? Because actually, I think it's, it's much more scalable than trying to have a manager who's fretting about, hey, I've got all, I'm so torn, right? I've got all these responsibilities to report upwards and constant, I'm sure you hear this all the time, constant sort of uh, refrain from frontline managers, I don't have time to coach, right? I hear this all the time. Don't have time to coach. 100%. So then isn't coaching scalable. If you have specialized coaches, that's their job. That seems exceedingly scalable to me. And, but I think it's, it's, you know, (laughs) people are reluctant to think outside the box that way because it looks like an added expense as opposed to something that's actually going to be a spur to increase performance and higher out, you know, better outcomes. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm not saying either or Andy, I think, I think that's a certainly plausible, you know, I think something needs to change. But I think you nailed it. I think you hit the, the hammer on the head. I think that's the biggest objection and, and, you know, I think sticking block or mental block that I hear from, from managers all the time is, look, I just don't have time to, you know, to handle the execution day-to-day part of my job and coach and develop my people, mm-hmm. right? And this is the fundamental distinction. This is one of those paradigm shifts that need to happen in the mindset is that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the operations part of your job and the people development part of your job are not separate and distinct. They're one and the same, right? right? You can superimpose the two. And I think that's the thing. If you know how, if you have the right framework and the right skill set and the right mindset, you can transform almost any conversation with your team member into a constructive coaching conversation. And I can give you a quick example. Sure. So let's say that, I mean, on one simple example, let's say that a team member, well, when we had offices, but a team member comes to you with a question, mm-hmm. right? Most managers, when they're just so busy in their job, what do they do? They immediately jump into problem-solving mode and answer it, right? And there's a whole lot of reasons for that. Sure. But they're building codependence, not independence, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas a world-class coach would assess and sort of hit the pause button just long enough and say, you know what? Is this a coachable moment? Is this an opportunity for me to help coach my team? And if it is, they can say, that's a good question. What are your thoughts? 
So it's kind of like jujitsu, right? Instantly you're in sort of that coaching mood. You, you come with them and you sort of assess because what that coach is trying to do is trying to understand and assess their team member. How are they thinking about handling this objection or that deal or the strategy? So not only are they focused on the result, but they're also focused on their team member to your point about improving the process. So I think if you have the right skill set and the right mindset, and the right framework, you can transform almost any conversation you're having with your team member into a constructive coaching conversation. Yeah, it's interesting because when we talk about this, this you know, pull and multiple demands on frontline managers, uh, I had a guest on the show last year and had written a book called Roger Connors or a book called uh, Get a Coach, Be a Coach. And his contention, which I think is being borne out right now, is that the current model we have of assuming that the managers are going to change their mindset and become coaches when they've got all these other demands on them to focus on metrics and activities because that's this is how now upper levels want they want reporting based on the numbers, right? Is that his sort of contention was is look. Self-directed coaching is really the only way this scales. And perhaps this is then becomes really the path forward, and especially utilizing technology like Ring DNA has with conversational intelligence tool, conversational AI we talk about, or our Yoda tool is, is yeah, is that sellers sort of use these to listen back to calls that they made. And and yes, they have you know some guidance, but from time to time with the coaches, but ultimately they have to take responsibility for it themselves. Yeah, I think I think I think it's all of the above, right? I think um, uh, I think one of the problems with that is that we all have blind spots. I think there's two problems with that. One is yes, we, we all yes, have we blind do. spots, right? <laughs> Some big glaring yeah. ones, right? With all of it, right? And so we don't know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong, so we can improve next time because we're in it. Right. So I think Well that, yeah, so it's not that they can do it without without coaching, but just that maybe the coaching is you know, more episodic and ultimately though, like anything in personal development, you're taking responsibility and being somewhat your own coach. See the approach that, that we've taken, I think another problem with that, Andy, is I think when you, as you know, I mean, the data on managers and their team members Mm -hmm. going back, right. We've heard the maxim, right. People don't leave companies, they leave managers. So I think that is the fundamental sticking point. And if you talk to a lot of organizational leaders out there, they understand that that frontline manager is the critical role in the organization, right? That execution layer. And until and unless you repair and fix that role and that dynamics, it's not going to change. So you can try all these ancillary strategies, but I think, I think fundamentally, Andy, I think it's, as you look at that manager, they have to change their approach. They have to assume more responsibility, right. I think, for, for coaching and developing their people. But how's that going to happen unless we invest in it? And this is, this gets back to is something that I've been talking about in the show for the last year, in my hypothetical scenario, which yeah. maybe you and I went through, which is yeah, we spend yeah. $20 billion a year in sales training in the United States, of which maybe 10% gets spent on managers, if that. And I people think I'm being facetious when I say this, but I actually think we would be better off if we took that 90% we spent on sellers and invested in developing managers. And we have a lot less training for sellers because, to your point, all the research shows that the biggest uplift in individual performance comes from effective coaching. So let's focus on that. But everybody's afraid to yeah, make that change. I mean, yeah. doesn't have to be, we don't, okay, we don't have to go from 1090 to 9010 overnight. But hey, at least half the sales dollars we spend, sales training dollars we spend, let's spend those on developing managers because that they are 
the biggest source of influence. They are the biggest source of people leaving the churn that happens. And not saying they're all bad people. It's just they're ill-equipped. Yeah, 100%, Andy. And I think um, it's amazing. I mean, the data is out there, right? I'm using the data on the learning curve, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't an assumption. It's a, it's a fact that's been proven over countless studies. But after, after 30 days, 90% of what people learn in a classroom setting or in an event-based setting is lost without ongoing coaching and reinforcement. Well, we've known we've known that since 1870s. We have. There's the, a the German, German scientist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's right. We all know that, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so, but, 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 what? To your point, Andy, it's, it's. I think we're just trapped in this outdated sort of paradigm. And I think, let me give you a quick example of of, of part of the problem. I think the industry as a whole has been evangelizing this that we need IC training, all these skills, all these role based competency models, right? Mm. That take years to implement. As an aside. There's little to no ongoing reinforcement or coaching out in the field. Right. But I talked to a friend of mine, a, a friend, an old, an old buddy and colleague. And after I'd done the research for the book, this is right when we we're going to publish it, I thought it was this breakthrough. And I said, look, we had done some research and we wanted to find the high leverage point, right? Where can we apply a little bit of focus, a little bit of energy and really move the needle on sales performance? And after all this research and, and it landed on that frontline manager role. And I said, this is the high leverage point. You know, mm-hmm. if we can change sure. the, this frontline manager, then if we can change their behavior, they'll change their team's behavior. And if we can integrate coaching, systematically integrate coaching, it'll, it'll be a game changer. And so he told me, he said, he's, he's the founder of a well-known sales training company. He said, Brian, everyone knows that. Everyone knows that the frontline, the, the stickiness of the training program depends on the ongoing coaching reinforcement that that frontline manager does. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, if everybody knows that, then why in the hell don't you build your curriculum around that frontline manager instead of the frontline <laughs> yeah. ICs? And, and, and the answer and, is. And he said, because our model, this is back in the, when it, he said, our model is predicated on putting cheeks in the seats. And there's a hell of a lot more frontline employees out there, frontline ICs, than there are frontline managers. And so I think that's part of it is you have this whole industry evangelizing this role-based competency model and these skills training. They're important, Andy, but to your point, it's not going to stick out in the field unless that coach is delivering ongoing coaching and reinforcement out in the field. And it boggles my mind why, to your point, these sales leaders don't understand that a much larger significant you know, portion of the spend of their investment should be focused on that on the management team, especially at that frontline manager level. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, so sort of branching off of that, because I think that, that, and this sort of goes hand in hand with it, is with more of the reliance on, on numbers versus the coaching is, but not entirely, because I think this has always been the case, but I think it's more, again, more acute now, is, you know, I think there's, there's a real lack of, I don't know, freedom for sellers, I guess, autonomy. Right? How do how did you develop? Right? You developed because not because someone was micromanaging you. You developed because you sort of took the initiative to develop certain strengths and skills you had and and branch out a certain way. You experimented. I'm assuming we don't know each other that well, but I'm assuming yeah. based on your background, that's what happened. That certainly happened with me. Yeah. Um, you know, I I. From day one, you know, went to a sales training class, big computer company that I started my sales career with back decades ago, and the things they were teaching in the class made my skin crawl. And I thought, yeah, holy shit, either I'm in the wrong job, the wrong <laughs> profession, or there has to be a different way to do this, a better way to do this. And so, yeah, I basically spent my entire career 
doing things a certain way, right? And it put certain pressure on you because, yeah, I, I didn't conform. I just performed, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's performance mm-hmm. versus conformity. Sure. And, and I think that one of the things that, that if we're starting to break out of where this static mode I think we're in, or slightly declining mode, is that sellers have to take some initiative and start pushing back against some of this crap that's happening and exert their autonomy. And I, I see inklings of this happening. Certainly at some of the topper level performers, or, you know, there's a lot of talk about redefining the relationship between employer and salesperson in a way that, that enables them to, to break out. And I think this has to happen at deeper levels. Your 100%, thoughts? 100%. I think, I mean, you know, Andy, I think there's so many parallels between sales and leadership and coaching or managing, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the word that pops to mind is authenticity, right? Mm -hmm. Being who you are. I think as a seller, right? That authenticity and that transparency, being congruent when your thoughts, your words, and your actions are on alignment is equally important as it is in being a manager, right? Authenticity. And I think to your point, what we're trying to do with this data is we're trying to create all these avatars, right? That just are coin operated and look at the data and go and do. And I think what we have as as leaders, as, as sales leaders, I think what we have to recognize and account for, as you say, Andy, is that that individuality. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what makes people so brilliant. I think, and I, and I know you're a proponent of this, this as well, but I mean, that's how you connect with people, right? right? Being authentic and being who you are and bringing, bringing you into the job. And, and I think as leaders, our job is to not create a bunch of avatars, but help our people become the best version of themselves, of who they are. Right. And how we- yeah, and how, how I kind of think about it, and what we do, uh, Andy, how I approach that is in terms of the, I call it the management operating system, mm-hmm. right? And so here's how I account for that. Um, you have standard operating procedures, SOPs, and recommended operating procedures, ROPs, right? Standard operating procedure is, look, here is how you facilitate a weekly coaching conversation or weekly one-on-one. Here is how you facilitate a deal coaching conversation. Here is how you facilitate a pre and post meeting coaching conversation. You know, here's our QBR. Here's what we do, right? Here's why we do it. And here's how we do it. Now the, the ROP is a recommended operating procedure. Now this gets into the coaching side where how you execute that skill or task. So to your point, Andy, I think that there should be like, here's what good looks like. In the absence of you having, you know, working your magic, Andy, like, you know, back in the day, you're closing those huge deals. What, what you're doing was obviously working, right? So mm-hmm. stick with that. But if you're coaching someone new or someone that's not necessarily, that's not a strength, I think it's incumbent upon us as managers, as leaders and coaches to at least have what I call that recommended operating procedure. Mm-hmm. Is, here's, here's a strategy. This is how it's worked for me, or this is how we're seeing work for other people on our team. Right. Try it out. If you have something that works better for you, great. But if not, let's sort of coalesce as a leadership team around, here's how we execute that skill. But again, accounting for the individuality, which I think is hugely important on the point that you brought up. Yeah, I mean, I'm not anti-process. I mean, I think you need to understand your process, document your process on a personal as well as a corporate level. I mean, if you as an individual can't document your process, that's problematic, right? I mean, I sort of resist this idea on one level that sales is the numbers game, the way that we see our SaaS companies practicing it, but at an individual level, we all have our numbers, right? And you need to know what your number is because that is the basis of what you're going to try to get better. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the mix has to change. And, and, you know, 
harking back to something you had said earlier. It's just that, and this I, I've come to this conclusion over the last several years as you see all this talk about modern sales. And I look at it and I think, yeah, when we strip away the technology, we're doing the same old shit we've been doing for decades. <laughs> and and that's the problem. That is the yep. problem. Yes. Right? Is is despite all this talk about modern selling, we're not doing modern selling. I I was giving some of the example a week or so ago, talking to a CEO, and I, I said, I mean, let's look at the stages that are laid out in your your sales force sales mm-hmm. and for the sales stages. And I said, Hey, I was using those 40 years ago. So that's nothing modern about that. I mean, it worked 40 years ago, but you know, if we're going to have this profession move forward, we have to look at things really differently. And that's why I talk about, let's change the equation of how we invest in management development Radically, let's not just keep doing the same crap we've been doing that isn't really changing anything, or even leading to lesser results than it was, like I said, decades ago. Um, there's so many things that, like I said, are fundamental, and I do believe I'm a huge fan of coaching. I think that this is, I think this is one of the fundamental mindsets, to your point, that needs to change among managers. But you know, the dynamics are such that they're being pulled in so many directions, especially in the tech world where. They're given the playbook when the company starts. Here's the predictable revenue playbook. Let's execute that. And you know they're torn, quite frankly. And we need to help managers with this you know, new, different mindsets in terms of what their job is, what their responsibility is. Yeah, I think you. I think you meant, you nailed it earlier, Andy. I, I think when you were talking about um, you know so focused on the results or the prize instead of the process and improving mm-hmm. the process. And I like to say that incremental improvement is the new transformation, right? And I think when we get out of this mindset of this transformation initiative, right? That's going to cost multiple seven figures and take multiple years and move reorgs and all these moving parts. And we're going to bring in this big consulting firm and do, start moving stuff. We got to get out of that mindset and realize that incremental improvement is a new transformation. If we just understand and accept, and as, as leaders, right? Embrace mm-hmm. this philosophy that our job is to maniacally and systematically improve performance, right? Improving our team's performance out in the field isn't an event that takes place during annual or quarterly performance reviews or training event. It should be inextricably integrated into everything your managers are doing on a weekly and daily basis. Well, the daily is, is I think, what you talked about is every opportunity, every conversation you had, and this is the way I approached this. Every time I had an interaction with all my sellers, it was a coachable moment. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. it's exciting. I mean, I've got the chills right now because people are finally starting to understand this. And I think when they have that breakthrough, it's transformative. And mm-hmm. I think that, but to your point, it's, it's that mindset piece. We're so busy. Part of it's mindset and a lack of self-awareness and lack of understanding that there, it actually doesn't take much, if any more time to have that coaching conversation. Right. But part of the problem that you nailed, Andy, is also leadership, right? If they're cracking the whip and they're saying, here's the dashboard, here's the data, more, more, more. That rep down that front line, or I'm sorry, that frontline manager is feeling pinched, right? And they're just, that's how they're being managed. That's how they're being uh, reprimanded in some cases. So I think that we have to kind of hit the pause button and say, look, ultimately, what do we have to? If we truly want to build a world-class high-performance organization, instead of just chasing our number every single quarter, we've got to hit the pause button and we've got to reset and create a high-performance environment, right? Where your team members aren't only open to receiving constructive coaching, but where your team members proactively come to you asking for it. 
You know, right. create that type of environment where team members feel safe, comfortable, respected, appreciated, valued, and understood. You know, I think we have to start there. And then I think we have to sort of understand and look at those isolated, these high leverage points, right, Andy? It's right. In sales, I, I believe the number one, and this isn't just in sales, it's been proven out, goes back to Andy Grove, right, in Intel, uh, the one-on-one conversation, yeah. I call it the, the weekly coaching conversation. But there's others, the, the you know, key meeting coaching conversation, right, before a big deal, mm-hmm. you know, having that pre and, and post uh you know, breakdown conversation, having, you know, there's different sort of high touch points and high leverage points that as a manager, if you just get those right, you can really move the needle and your team members want it. They want this coaching. I talk to them all the time. What are your, what's your perspective on that? Absolutely. Well, I, so a question for you, and this is one of my thoughts. And again, I'm not trying to be critical of anybody. I guess just sort of the way things have evolved, but isn't one of the issues these days, I think, that frontline managers don't understand sales well enough oftentimes to be able to help in the way that's needed. And so I think that they need coaching, more coaching. They need more uh, sales experience oftentimes than to be able to provide that sort of baseline of, of knowledge and coaching that's really required. That's an interesting perspective. So you you think that they don't have the actual sales acumen themselves, these frontline managers? Yeah. I'm not not saying this is not necessarily new. (laughs) I think it's always the danger with frontline sales managers. Oftentimes it goes back to how we choose them. But but yeah, I think that that seems to be the case, right? Because we brought people up the guy people that are being present you know promoted these days, men and women into these these roles. Yeah, they've come up under managers that have focused on the metrics, and they're people that sort of manage to succeed in spite of that. And but obviously, a lot of people are being promoted that don't have that. And this is just based on conversations I'm hearing, and you know, conversations I take part of on LinkedIn and other places. And it's like, wow, we seem to have this problem. It's like, do we really understand? I, I sort of call the problem is the problem with our sales people these days is that the managers are equipping them or aiming them at the wrong targets with the wrong tools. Yeah, I see. Um, a lot of what I see is, and I know it was a case with me, right? You take this this top performer and then all of a sudden you put them in that frontline manager role from on Friday, they're individual contributor. And then all of a sudden they're a frontline manager. And so while they may have their own experience, even if they were promoted quickly, some base level of experience, when it comes to that management and leadership and coaching, they're completely, you know, fish out of water, right? And right. I think, I think, to your point, I think you're nailing it. It goes back to this continuous improvement, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to, again, I say all the time that leadership development starts with personal development. Before you start telling your team members what to do, look in the mirror and start focusing on yourself, right? And I think that managers have to up-level themselves and their skill set. Yes. And here's an interesting example. So in in workshops, I would take managers through and I'd say, okay, what are the top 10 skills you think your team members need to excel at in their particular functional role? You know, whether it's 50 people in the room, whatever, all the managers go through this exercise and list them out. And then I would take them through and how do you, how should they execute? You know, getting back to this recommended operating procedure, how could you execute those skills? A lot of them had never even thought of it before. Mm -hmm. And then I took them down all the way down to the point of assessing their team members in these skill areas. You know what's on the sheet, Andy? Question marks. 80% of them question mark. They had absolutely no idea. Now, the reason why they have no idea is because when they go into that meeting, most managers are 100% focused on the deal. 
right? right? And whatever they need to do to get it, right? But here's that, that mindset distinction is that these world-class coaches, they're still focused on the deal, right? But they're seeing that deal through their team members' eyes, right? They're looking and assessing their team, mem- their, their frontline rep. Mm-hmm. How are they thinking about handling this objection? Were they prepared in going into this meeting for this meeting? Should we be having this meeting in the first place? Is it qualified, right? So they're still achieving the objective, but it's in a much more scalable way because they're mm-hmm. thinking long-term. They're investing in their person. They're not just focused on the deal. They're focused on the development of their team. Right. Well, and that's, yeah, that's back to sort of the basic conundrum of, of what people consider the coaching calls to be. I remember sitting at a topo conference, yeah, it's probably five years ago now. I mean, we can make the assessment whether things have gotten better or worse since then. But as a panel of CROs and VPs of sales, talking about scaling and building teams and da-da-da-da. And at one point, a guy of a yeah, fairly well-known SaaS company, CRO, said, yeah, we don't do one-on-ones anymore. They don't work. <laughs> now, I'm sitting there having to bite my tongue from <laughs> making a comment out loud saying, dude, that's your <laughs> failure, not the failure of, of the people. But there was just sort of this nodding of agreement among the panelists. I don't know if they were doing it because they're uncomfortable or you know, just reaction, but I'm thinking no one from the audience questioned it during Q&A. And I'm like, oh, really? Well, that says a lot right there. Yeah. We don't do one-on-ones. They don't work. That's akin to saying, Andy, is it not? We don't do sales process. Sales process doesn't work. <laughs> right? Well, what sales process is it and how are you installing it and how are you reinforcing it? And, you know, it's, it's, that's asinine. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, as I thought. But, it's, but unfortunately, I think that, that mindset exists out there. And that's coming from the senior level. So if, if you're a frontline manager and you feel that this is the way your boss or your boss's boss believes, that's going to have an impact on how you implement it. That's going to impact the culture of the organization. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, it, it starts at the top. Um, but that said, I think that there is a way, if you're a frontline manager out there and you have one of those crappy managers, <laughs> you know, a, a CRO or someone that doesn't believe in that and doesn't have to share this philosophy, there is a way that you can control your own destiny. Instead of focusing on the culture, you can focus on the meeting environment with your team, right? You can change your approach. You can implement some of these tactics and strategies they're a heck of a lot, you know, uh, simpler to do than you might think, but you can control your own destiny in that regard. Right. When I think to the same point I said earlier about salespeople need to grasp and insist on autonomy in how they develop is sales managers, frontline managers do as well, right? If, to your point, if you're in an environment and you're not getting support you want from somebody above you, to your point, you have a choice, right? You can, you can bail, or you can say, look, there's a better way to do it. I'm going, because I think there's a better way to do it. We're going to do it that way. And, yeah, let the chips fall, right? I mean, I several instances in my career, it's like, yeah, okay, go ahead and fire me if you don't like what we're doing. But we're doing great, right? I know it doesn't fit the way you want to do it. But, yeah, your way was wrong. So sometimes managers, you have to take that approach and just say, I have a conviction that, it's not that you're not open to coaching and so on, but you have to have a point of view and a perspective to succeed. Yeah, 100%. I think that 
it's not just the numbers. These are people's careers. You know, these yeah. are people's livelihoods, right? And I think yeah. that don't screw we have it. to, don't screw with it and accept ownership as an individual yeah. out there to, to manage up and raise, you know, raise your voice and say, look, because with so many moving parts, Andy, and this is what I see all the time with, with the amount of data that we have, mm-hmm. these at the C-suite, they're, they're looking at the reports and they're not getting down in the trenches, so they don't really understand what's happening at that mm-hmm. frontline level and what these frontline ICs and, and, and reps and what these frontline managers want and need. They have no yeah. idea because and the, the double curse of, an, of data is, you know, the data is helpful, but it shines a light on what you're measuring and everything yeah. else is cast in darkness. So if you're not measuring the environment, the type of environment that your team has, you know, that they're, you know, on that front line, if right. you're not measuring, uh, you know, how your frontline managers or frontline ICs perceive your, your frontline manager's approach, it's not going to show up. And so I think that, you know, I think that the senior leadership has to do a better job of really getting down, setting aside the dashboard, setting aside the data and just invest some time in chatting with people, whether it's a triple skip review, but coming down to that front line, but really understanding how is that frontline performing, especially during these COVID times, right? It's remote. We don't have that connection with people. We're not the human element is all, is is devoid, right? We're devoid of that contact. Well, unless you develop it, I mean, you can still unless you develop it, a hundred percent. And I think this has to be top of mind for folks. It's not just about the number; it's about investing in your people, yeah. right? And I think that comes down that starts at the top, but it comes down through the organization. I think once you spend time, because that's the blessing that I've had is I, you know, I've spent a lot of time and energy and money over the years in chatting with folks and understanding what happens. How can we? And when you get down that front line, you really understand what's important to these people. I think it's going to shine a light. I think it's going to fundamentally change how you manage and how you lead your team and your organization. And I think that's where it comes in. Yes, absolutely. I would hope. And it, <laughs> and it not only becomes better for the people that you're coaching, it's become more fulfilling for you personally. So you know, from your own career perspective as a manager, as a frontline manager, now suddenly say, oh, I see the influence and the impact I can have on people. And if you're ambitious, then you say, well, gosh, maybe I want to have that impact on a broader number of people and continue to work hard and get that next level of promotion. Hopefully that's the way it works out. So, um, so I didn't mean to ignore talking about your book, uh, which is an excellent book, The Weekend Co- Coaching Conversation, uh, written in a sort of fable form. So it's very easy to go through based on what you said at the early part of this conversation. It sounds like you were sort of the role model for the main character. Um, in some respects, did I get that right? Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I wouldn't say role model. I would say well, that I, I modeled world class leaders. I mean, but the framework. But yeah, the story is essentially my story, Andy. Right? It's yeah. It's me sort of acting as coach today, knowing all that I've learned and studied and experienced, having right. a conversation with me twenty plus years ago when I first started managing people. Okay, so just a few minutes we have left. A couple key questions about the book. So the bar, the halftime, was that the Dutch Goose, the Oasis, or Zots? What, what's that? So there are three. You gave a you oh know, you in the in the Bay Area in the Bay Area in Palo Alto. Loosely, loosely modeled after the old pro. Oh, the old pro. Okay, wow. the old pro. Remember the old? Wow. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. See, yeah. I wouldn't put that in the sort of like holy trinity of of bars, but yeah, the old pro, perfect. Yeah, the original uh, one across the street from Stanford because I know you went to Stanford. So yeah, the old pro is down a little bit, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the Oasis was the big one that was closest to campus. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's closed down. Just in the yeah, last uh, couple of years. So there are my initials, or my initials were in there somewhere, uh, <laughs> drunkenly carved into the wood booths. Uh, nice. And the coach, who is the role model for the coach? 
Well, the coach is taken after uh, a number of different characters, um, uh, and but there was one specific one was Bill Campbell. Yeah, I, I knew that. I, I could tell just from the conversation. So I worked for Bill at Apple back in the early okay. days. Yeah. Okay. So we don't have time to go into it now, but I early, in between my jobs and before I started the research, I had a, an early stage company raise a couple million bucks. It, it folded in 2008, 2009. But as part of that, I had a, uh, two board members that were on my board and they were both in the coaching tree of Bill Campbell. Bill Campbell, yeah. And so we would have these weekly coaching conversations with them and I would see their philosophy, their approach, hear their stories. And so as I expanded my network, I encountered more and more people that are protégés of Bill Campbell. So mm-hmm. he was a big influence and he is the godfather of, of, of coaching. So I took a lot of his inspiration and, and put it into the story. And incidentally, um, I had asked both of them and I, I was supposed to meet with Bill Campbell, but they didn't feel comfortable. Bill shuns the spotlight and he does yeah. not like the spotlight. And so this book was published in 2012. And so I didn't have the opportunity to sit down and, and publish this book before him um, and he has since passed, but um, right. yeah, just an incredible human being. But as you know, Andy, it's it's taking this wisdom that someone like a Bill Campbell, um, someone like a you know a Tom Mendoza, Dave Schneider, mm-hmm. some of these these world class leaders, and how can we package that and pull it down so you don't have to wait twenty or thirty years to learn these these timeless lessons? You can actually implement it today. Yeah, yeah. Bill was was very unique, and you could you did a good job. You could definitely hear Bill's voice coming through in the book. So. Uh, well, good. So, Brian, that's it for us today. If people want to get in touch with you, learn more about what you're doing, how can they do that? Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best place. So you All can right. look me up, Brian Souza, S-O-U-Z-A, and uh, we can connect there. Excellent. Brian, thank you for your time. We'll look forward to doing it again. I appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, so grateful for support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Brian Souza, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.